we continue worshiping together today, you may turn in your favorite Bible app or the Pew Bible and receive this reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 28, beginning with the 10th verse. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood behind him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Lutz at the first. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. invite you now together with all of us gathered in this place to pray together. Loving God, settle us into this moment and ground us in your grace. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you, for you and you alone, O oh God, are our rock and redeemer. Amen. Today's Bible story is about Jacob setting out on a journey. He's fleeing the wrath of his brother Esau and has been sent to Padan Aram by his parents, not only to escape danger, but also to find a wife among the members of his uncle Laban's family. 
Now, Jacob, for those of you who know some of the Jacob stories in the Bible, Jacob is a character in the Bible who is always working an angle and willing to deceive and to cheat to get what he wants. He seems to be one of those people who can read a situation and figure out the dynamics at play and then use his cleverness and his charm to manipulate outcomes in ways that land in his favor. But in this little portion of the Jacob story that we receive today, Jacob is kind of on his own, it seems, in an in-between place. We aren't told of any people necessarily around him that he can trick or charm. All there is is a place for him in this place to rest his head for the night. Jacob lays his head on a rock and has a dream and receives a vision and a message from God. Now, I don't imagine that Jacob expected to be met with angels or to come face to face with God as he sped away from the mess that he had made at home, and it was a mess. But that is what happened. And when he awoke from his dream, he exclaimed, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. Have you ever in your life been in an unfamiliar context and encountered a thin place, a place where heaven and earth, the space between grows thin? Or perhaps you've been in a challenging, like Jacob, a challenging in-between place in your life, and perhaps you encountered an angel, literally a messenger, that's what the word means, a messenger from God? Or have you ever realized that God was present and you hadn't known it? Perhaps you only realized, looking back, that God was with you when you were taking a difficult stretch of the journey. Or perhaps you remember only after that that encounter with that stranger that time was an encounter with an angelic messenger from God. I always imagined that Jacob's dream happened in a wilderness place out under a blanket of stars, not surrounded by anything. He was just out there by himself. But as I read the story closely, I realized that far from sleeping out in the middle of nowhere, he was either near or within the city once called Lutz the city that he then renames Bethel, which means literally house of God. My childhood images, I had this very clear image in my mind of Jacob sleeping in the middle of nowhere with his head on a pillow and this ladder that was somehow magically prop, propped up like Jack and the Beanstalk that just goes all the way up into the clouds. Like I had this image in my head. That image is totally shot. Because, because God, I see now, the presence of God was in this place um, where civilization was, in the midst of a city, and I didn't know it. My childhood vision is toast. You know, not knowing is not my favorite. It really isn't my favorite. I don't know if anyone really likes not knowing. I mean, 
Who doesn't want the answer? Not knowing the answer when you need an answer is not fun. Not knowing the way to get where you need to go is not fun. Not knowing how to play the game or how to do the job that you're given, not fun. Who likes not knowing? But one of the unexpected gifts that I received during my health and spiritual renewal leave, which during this series, this Lessons from the Journey series I'm sharing with you, one of the gifts that I received on that leave is the gift of not knowing. The gift showed up in different ways. On more than one occasion during my first eight days of touring in India, where I spent a month, people would ask me, why are you here? On one level, and they also said, are you here alone? <laughs> I got that one a lot. Are you really traveling here alone? Yes. Um, I could answer that one. Yes, I'm traveling alone. They asked, why are you here? Well, on one level, I had an answer to the question. I was going to receive a holistic health treatment later in my stay in the country. But the truth is, is that I could have received that same treatment here in the United States. So why was I there? I really didn't know. I had wanted to go back to India since I first encountered the place on a liberation theology seminar tour when I was in divinity school. But why was I going there now? But why did I want to go back? And why now? As I pondered that question, I realized that my first experience in India was during a time when I was struggling and suffering from depression and the multi-sensory rush of Indian life and culture gave me a kind of energy that I had been struggling to find. And as I spent those first days exploring places on this trip that I'd never been, I remembered and experienced again that feeling and that energy. And once I arrived at the healing center, one of my lead doctors gave voice to another insight that was forming in my mind during a question and answer session with Vaija Dr. Ram Kumar, he said this, sometimes you need to step out of your normal life to experience a place and a people that you don't understand, to really shake you out of your normal routines. There was a moment during the whirlwind planning for the five months of leave that I took that I simply knew I was supposed to go to India but I didn't know why. And along the journey, I realized how important Dr. Ram Kumar's words were and how much they were part of the answer. In the first days in India, I traveled to four different places in Tamil Nadu, and it was most definitely an experience of a place and a people that I didn't understand. And I realized that it wasn't only that I couldn't speak the verbal language, that were spoken, the languages that were spoken there. But I didn't know how to speak the body language either. There were many times when I wondered if I was non-verbally communicating the exact opposite of the thing that I thought I was saying. Do you know what I mean? And they do this thing with their head, which is lovely. It's the head wobble, the head wobble. You've, yes, I see Lee doing it, this one, which can basically mean, I have no idea who you are and what you want 
or you're a very nice person, or how can I help you? I mean, it could mean any of those things. It honestly, you just have no idea. It's like, I don't know. I don't know what you're selling me right now. Um, and of course, I didn't know how to communicate any of the things, completely out of my depth. I didn't know how to tip drivers, which is common for me anyway. I didn't know what was a reasonable cost for a tuk-tuk ride, or if I was getting taken for a ride, if you know what I mean. I didn't know who to trust. I didn't know who was taking advantage of my cultural ignorance. Lord knows I spent way more money on the few things I purchased due to my disastrous attempts at nonchalance and haggling. Terrible. I am not good. You do not want me doing that work for you. Just trust me. I didn't know what was happening in the Hindu temples, many Hindu temples that I visited, or whether I was really welcome in some of those spaces. In other words, there was abundant not knowing during my sojourn. And there were times when that not knowing was deeply frustrating and <laughs> upsetting and exhausting. But there was another kind of abundance that emerged in that not knowing experience. The not knowing shook me into a learner's posture. And this allowed for several important things to happen that I think are instructive for all of us. First, I remembered in a visceral way, and this sounds basic, but it was such an important realization and rem reminder. I, rem I remembered in a visceral way how big the world is and how radically and beautifully different other cultures and people are. And I remembered how much I get to still learn. I think it feels like at a certain point in life, maybe some of us settle into a sense that at some level, we understand enough or we know enough. And we go into situations and we think, oh, yes, 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 I understand about that. I know about that. I know about that. But what I was reminded of, of in this space is just uh, how big and diverse things are and how much I don't know, which on the positive side is how much I get to learn, how much there is to learn, what a gift that is. Many, of course, in this congregation have had the privilege to travel widely through your vocations or just your life so, so that you have a really deep understanding of the world, much more so than many. But man, in this time, this space, I, I found myself marveling at and wanting to learn more about God's world and God's big, beautiful family. One of the gifts of not knowing which happens in any cultural immersion experience, as it certainly did in my travel, is that the boundaries of our perspective are expanded. It just makes our world grow bigger. Our perspective grows bigger. And if we can let, our, let go of our insecurity and our frustration with our not knowing, then we also have the opportunity in that space to grow our capacity to move in and through the unknowns with curiosity and with wonder and with humility instead of just frustration. Second thing I learned from these places of not knowing is 
It's, it made me reliant on other people. I, I tend to pride myself on being pretty self-reliant. I learned this from my dad, who taught me, you know, the first thing you do is you figure out what you need to do. I, I'll figure it out one way or another. And sometimes I'm, I consider myself self-reliant to a fault, but when confronted with an entire context that is unfamiliar, there are a few options but to lean on those around you. Sometimes this works better than others. But I do think of a kind and industrious tuk-tuk driver who figured out that I wanted to see as many of the Hindu temples in Kumbakonam as I possibly could in the one day I had there. And he um, immediately became my tour driver. And I think I saw about 14 temples in four hours. I have no idea. It was, it was a whirlwind trip. Uh, it was a whole situation. Uh, but I never would have been able to see all that I saw without his kindness. And of course, he was doing a good job. The restaurant owner, I also think of, who saw me, well, I walked into the establishment one day. This was a place that was supposed to have some of the best food in the city. And I walked in, and I was staring up at the wall at the menu, and I was staring sort of blankly and hungrily. I had no idea what to do, frankly. And then all of a sudden, the owner of the establishment came, and he sat me down at a table, and he put down a banana leaf on the table, and then he just had the, the assistant server come and just start putting food down. They just started putting it there. And then, and then the young mother, who was at the table next to me, actually helped me understand how to eat it, which was also not clear to me at all. Uh, they had to fix my coffee. It was a whole situation. Again, situation after situation. <laughs> One of the gifts of not knowing is to remember how incredibly special and powerful it is when humans help other humans to find their way. It doesn't always happen. And when it does, it's just pure grace. Third, the whole experience in India was, as Dr. Ram Kumar said, necessary to shake me out of my routines of behavior and thinking. While there, I realized that a significant reason for being drawn to India was because I knew I wouldn't be able to accomplish the daunting shifts in my life that I needed to make without such a radically other experience. And in that time, I came face to face with my limits and my strengths. I practiced trusting my own leadings and the guidance of others. I experienced deep vulnerability and wonder, both so core to what it means to be human, which connected me to my own humanity in a different and deeper way. And in that time and space, I had the distance and the space to really feel what it's like to travel an unknown path rather than the familiar day-to-day -day of my life. That also is a gift of not knowing. Now, friends, we don't have to go halfway around the world to experience the gifts of not knowing. All it takes, really, is to put yourself into a new situation, a situation that is unfamiliar and even perhaps uncomfortable. That might be engaging in any activity that takes you out of your comfort zone. Maybe it's choosing to explore your faith in a more intentional way. 
Maybe it's serving here at Foundry with our ID ministry or with Project Transformation or with our children and youth. It could be taking on a new responsibility at work or in the community. Maybe you have an opportunity to do a mission trip like we do with ASP or to do an immersion and learning trip to the southern border or to another country. And of course, sometimes you don't have to take yourself anywhere because life comes to you and gives you opportunities and challenges that put you in the space of abundant not knowing with the arrival of a first child or with a difficult medical diagnosis or an abrupt end to a relationship. All of these experiences can present you with challenges, of course, but also with, if you look for them, abundant gifts that can come with the not knowing those I've named, to learn how to move through whatever you're facing with curiosity and wonder and humility, to give thanks for the kindness and generosity of others who help you find your way, to learn how to live in new ways through the concrete experience of coming face to face with your own strengths and vulnerabilities and to practice trusting your own wisdom as well as the guidance of God and of other people. My travels in India earlier this year were during the season of Lent. It seemed an appropriate time to seek healing and release of things that needed to be let go and liberation from old ways to shift into new ones. And while I was there, I received an insight about another trip that I needed to take, which had not been on my radar before. There's a place in the Willamette National Forest in Oregon that is a thin place for me. The old growth forests and natural hot springs and clear mountain river have nurtured me for many years. And in 2020, half of the retreat property, this sacred space, and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of acres of the surrounding mountains and countryside were destroyed in forest fires. I had decided that I was not going to go back there for a long time because I couldn't take more, more grief and more loss and it was just too hard. <laughs> but while I was in India, I got a very clear leading that I needed to go and that I needed to go as close to Easter as possible because the community that stewards the land and that offers hospitality through that retreat center is rebuilding, using as much as they can salvage from that which has been lost. It felt in some part of me that it was an Easter situation, a resurrection situation happening there, and that I needed to put my body in that kind of place. When I shared this with one of my friends, he asked me, so what are you going to do there? Why are you going there? Are you just gonna go there and cry? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. <laughs> all I know is I need to get there. It's all I had. It's all I had was the leading, but not the why. And when I drew close to the place and I saw the mountains covered in black stumps where once had stood lush, ancient evergreen forests, my heart was indeed sad. But I didn't cry, which is, you all know, strange for me. 
I didn't cry. The first several days I was there, I simply observed things. I looked closely at what had been lost and what had been salvaged and saved. And I observed things coming up within me. And about halfway through the week, I got up very early one morning and I took myself out to one of the hot spring pools that's nestled into the side of a hill overlooking the river below. And I was alone there. And I watched the sun come up over the meadow and the trees that along that stretch of the river had been spared. And the scene was exactly as it had been 20 years ago, the first time I stepped into that pool. And in that moment, I was aware again of the thin place, how close heaven was to earth, the abundance of God's grace and goodness, the generosity of you and so many that had allowed me to make the journey there, the messages of hope and new life that were ascending and descending, evident all around me in the wounded creation and in that community. And only then did my eyes fill with tears. But they weren't tears of grief or loss, but rather gratitude. Gratitude for what had been and for what was spared and for what would be, not just in that place, but in my life. I was filled with gratitude for resurrection. All this to say, one of the things I have learned through the experiences of this year is that in abundant not knowing, the abundance of God becomes manifest. God's grace, God's beautiful people and world, God's angels who appear sometimes right at the point where you're ready to give up, God's wisdom and word and presence guiding and nudging us along the journey, these things and grace after grace appear when we travel into places of unknown paths with humility and with curious minds and with open hearts. Will you pray with me? Generous God, help us to experience your abundant grace in all our places of not knowing. Stretch and guide and open us to new life. Amen.